Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that speaks powerfully to us. We thank you um, uh, that you give us instructions on how we are to uh, live as your church and the things that we are to be on about. Lord, we pray that as we uh, consider that today, you would speak powerfully uh, to us by your word, through your spirit. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, would you believe that a few years ago, I was lucky enough to go on a uh, Reformation history tour through um, Europe. And that involved going to lots and lots of church buildings and looking at all their interesting historical features. And it was really quite interesting. They were full of lots of history and many of them were full with lots of gold and almost all of them full of many, many tourists. But as I wandered around, I got to thinking to myself, what is the purpose of these church buildings? Like, why do they exist? Why am I here looking at them? What is the point? Are they mere historical artefacts? Have they just become glorified tourist destinations? What is their purpose? And I hope perhaps you might have asked the same question about this building that I'm in this morning. What is the person of our church building here on Lincoln Street? Why is it here? What is its purpose? It might be a bit of a historical artefact. It's been here for a fair while. It's not much of a tourist destination, though the St Aidan's in Lindisfarne, UK, certainly is. But what is the purpose of this church building? And of course, wondering about buildings and their purpose is one thing, but if you've been on the journey with us over the last uh, few weeks, you'll know that actually the church isn't a building at all. You'll remember uh, from the first week that church is uh, come, the word church comes from the Greek word ecclesia, meaning the ga- uh, gathering of people. And so we see that the church is first, for, foremost and primarily the gathered people of God. A gathering of people who belong to God and a group of people who uh, 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 exist because of the gospel story, the story of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. It is that gospel story that unites anyone who calls himself part of the church and it is that gospel story that when we respond in faith to means we join the church, we're set apart by God to live holy lives for him. And we saw then last week that the church uh, is not just um, uh, uh, made up of, of uh, the individuals that we might go to church with on a Sunday. Actually, the church is, has a universal focus, that God's church is made up of all people, past, present and future, who've called on the name of Jesus for their salvation. And there are two sides to that. There is the invisible church, past, present and future, of people all around the world who call on the name of the Lord Jesus... And then there are visible local expressions of church which can be flawed and impacted by sin and at the very worst corrupted at the top with, as we saw last week, leadership that doesn't hold firm to the Word of God, to the Gospel story which births the church. So when we ask the question, what is the purpose of church? Why does church exist? We're not asking a question, are we, about the utility of buildings? That question ought to have a fairly obvious answer. 
that the church exists to enable the gathered people of God, the church building that is, exists to enable the gathered people of God to fulfil their purpose. And so church buildings are useful insofar as much as they enable that mission or that purpose. And of course, church buildings can become uh, uh, problematic when they become mission disablers or purpose distractors. And of course, that's part of what's been going on in Tasmania, isn't it, in the last uh, year or so, where uh, a number of church buildings have ended up being for sale. Many of those becoming mission disablers rather than enablers for the gathered people of God to do whatever it is God calls us to do as a church. So what is the purpose of the gathered people of God? I wonder how you would answer that. I think perhaps many would answer it in one of two ways. Uh, it seems to me that as you, as you look around at the world, the, the church seems to have or, or, or be characterised as doing one of either of two things. We uh, can be known as society's morality police. So uh, the church exists to tell people not to do fun stuff or uh, to tell people not to uh, uh, have sex outside of heterosexual marriage or to tell people not to kill their babies or not to kill the elderly or whatever moral or social issue of the day there might be. The morality police. But likewise, the church can be known uh, as a provider of social care and social good. That the church's purpose is to look after the hungry, the homeless, the sick and the infirm. And, uh, of course, the reason the church is uh, seen as that being its primary purpose is because that is one of the things that we are good at doing. Australia's uh, biggest provider of charities is indeed the church. But what does the Bible say ultimately our purpose is. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he actually tells them that all of their life is to be lived for the glory of God. He says in 1 Corinthians 10 31, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. All of the Christian's life is lived for the glory of God, including their life lived as part of the gathered church. And in fact, he says later in Corinthians uh, that uh, when we gather, when we're being the church gathered, we're actually to do so in such a way that if an unbeliever comes into our church gathering, they might start to, to worship God, to give God glory. 1 Corinthians 14, 24 to 25, if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. The gathered people of God, when an unbeliever comes in, they join with them in giving glory to this amazing God. The Apostle Peter too talked about how Christians 
were meant to live in such a way that caused people to bring and give God glory. Verse uh, 12 of chapter 2 of Peter's first letter, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The way the church lived and, and interacted with the community around them was meant to help people to give God the glory he deserves. And the Psalms also instruct us that our lives ought to be orientated towards giving God glory. Psalm 145 verse 3, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, His greatness no one can fathom. Or Psalm 115 verse 1, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. We are God's church, God's people, and we exist for God's glory. But what are we to actually do as the gathered people of God? What activities bring glory to God? We've heard uh, that uh, we ought to be kind to outsiders and that brings glory to God as people respond to that kindness. And we've seen as well that uh, uh, connected to this idea glory, of glory is worship. Not just singing and praising God, though that's certainly a big part of worship. Go back to the Psalms. Great is the Lord and most worthy, worthy of praise. We're called to a life of worship telling God and singing to God his praises, but also devoting our minds and our bodies to live as God has called us to live. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. The church is called to worship in all of life, both the telling of the praises of God, but also through a devotion of our bodies and minds to doing the will of God, to our minds being transformed by his word and to our offering our bodies in his service. These are acts of worship that bring glory to God. So we're called to glory. We're called to glory through worship. We're also called to glory through growth. And one of the great places to see how the church, uh, one of the church's chief concerns is the, the growth of Christians in their faith is to look at Paul's prayers for the churches when he writes to them. Take Ephesians, for example. He prays for the church twice in chapter 1 and in chapter 3. Just let me read them to you. For this reason, Paul says in uh, verse 1 of Ephesians, starting at verse, uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians, starting at verse 15, for this reason, 
Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious, the, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better, that you may grow in your knowledge, the renewing of your mind. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. Again, in chapter 3, verses 14 to 19, he prays that we might be strengthened with power by the Spirit, that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith, and that we might have power to understand how much God loves us. Or take his letter to the Philippian church, chapter 1, verse 9. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more, that you'll grow in your love and, that you'll, and in knowledge and depth of insight and knowledge, that you may be able to, to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless. Holiness, growing in holiness for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Again, as we grow as Christians, this brings God's glory and, and we get involved in the praise of God. Colossians, chapter 1 again. Again, you see this theme, it's in the first chapter. He, he always opens with this prayer for Christian growth for the church. For this reason, since we, have not, since we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And we ask that God would what? Fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you can live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing good fruit in every good work and growing in knowledge. And again in 2 Thessalonians, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more and the love of all of you have for one another is increasing. And we saw in our reading First Thessalonians today as well. Paul prayed for the church to fulfil its mission of growth in faith of the saints, of the individual members of the church. And when Christians grow in their faith and they grow in their Christ-likeness, where they become more holy, this brings God glory. But we're not to stop there. We gather to worship, we gather to help one another grow in our faith. We also gather so that we can tell others about Jesus. This is the, 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 the other purpose of the church that brings God great glory. We saw it in our reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 where uh, the, the great glory that comes as the Thessalonians turned from God to idols. And this is uh, the story of the early church fulfilling the great commission of Jesus. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' command here, is to go, 
for the church to be on mission, to go on mission and make disciples, new disciples. Jesus gives this command to 12 disciples and there goes on to be church after church after church. It is clear that Jesus expects his church to be active in the pursuit of others, to join with them in the worship of God, in, the gr- in their growth as followers of God, in their sharing of this gospel story with others, all for his glory. And in the book of, the, of Acts, which tells the story of the early church, We see time and time again the church gathering for prayer and worship, supporting each other, but also time and time again, evangelistic growth. Acts 6 verse 7, the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, even a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. These are people who were trying to kill Jesus before. Acts 12, 24, the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Acts 13, 49, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. As one scholar reflects on these uh, passages in Acts that talk about God's word expanding and people's lives being changed. He says, the word of God grew in the sense that its influence extended and the number who believed it grew. In Scripture, the Word of God is viewed as a vital force reaching into people's lives and transforming situations according to God's will. Thus, Luke coined an expression which means that the church, which is the creature of the Word, grew. As the church devotes itself to God and His Word, and as it devotes itself to telling that story revealed in that Word, it grew. It grew because new people who weren't Christians became Christians. And it would seem to me that a church which sees no evangelistic growth is a church that is not yet fulfilling its purpose. Just as a church that sees no growth in faith or no lively worship is not fulfilling its purpose. The proper end for a local congregation's life, Mark Deva says, uh, are the worship of God, the edification of the church, the building up of the church, and the evangelization of the world. These three purposes, in turn, serve the glory of God. The church, when it's working well, will hold these three things in balance. the worship of God, the growth of Christians and the evangelization, the the telling of others about Jesus. Sometimes we'll find that one of these things becomes so neglected in the life of the church that a, a massive shift is required to get us back in balance. But the the ideal is that together we do these three things. We worship God, we grow as Christians, we evangelise the world. And if we're seeking to do that, all for God's glory, not for our own, 